This is episode 14 of the Be That Mom Movement podcast. And today I am so excited to bring to you an interview I made with my friend Maggie, who is a teacher and a mama of five and who has a unique perspective and vantage point of this whole digital age thing. So stay tuned. Welcome to your source for tips, tools, and support to help you be that mom that is tuned in and proactive for yourself, your family, and for the wild ride of raising kids in this digital age. Inspired by a mother's love with a relatable, real life, proud to be that mom flair. This is the Be That Mom Movement with your host, Dolly Denson. So before we get to the interview, I just wanted to highlight a review of the week. And if you have not yet left me a review and you love my show and you find it very valuable, please hop over there and do it. It's really simple. I personally hadn't left reviews on many podcasts until recently because I didn't realize how easy it was to do it. So please leave me a review. I would greatly appreciate it. But today's review is from Petty Girl or P-E-T-T-Y-G-R-L, and she says, I love Dolly's show. Episode three hits very close to home as we have struggled with screen time in our home. I just recently deleted the game Fortnite as it caused so much agitation and stress. Thank you for your wisdom and insight. I'm looking forward to more episodes. Best of luck, Dolly. Thank you so much for this review, and I think that you are gonna find today's episode super helpful. Hey, hey, episode 14, OMG. I'm so excited to bring this to you today. I am chatting all things digital age and being that mom with my friend Maggie, who is a mama and a teacher and who has a very unique perspective. And I think that she's going to bring you a lot of value and a lot of things to think about in terms of your children and how all of the digital things affects their mindset affects their concentration, affects their ability to perform well in their education and their school, and just the whole trying to grasp all of how the digital stuff affects them. So stay tuned and let's get moving. My name is Maggie Tony, and I am a mom and a teacher. I have five children. I have two adult children who don't live with us anymore. Our oldest is 23. She'll be 24 in October. She lives in Chicago. She's in the world of theater. And then uh, our next oldest is going to be 21 in the fall. And he's on his own and working and supporting himself. Still kind of trying to figure out what he, you know, what he wants to do, but he's, he's doing okay. And then our three little ones are almost 10 and 8 and 6. So we've sort of seen the, the, the digital issues, the technology issues from, from all developmental standpoints. And then, I, and then I'm also a teacher. Like I said, I teach high school English and debate. I have primarily sophomores, but I see students of all ages. So I'll talk a little bit about what we've seen as parents in the home, and then I'll and then I'll talk about what I see in the classroom as a teacher because it's 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 two it's two sides of the same coin is what I'm seeing. So when our two oldest first got their cell phones when they were in middle school, sixth seventh grade, they my husband and I weren't that fussed about getting them like we weren't okay they have to have a cell phone they need a cell phone we weren't too terribly worried about it. Their respective 
other parents. So I'm our oldest daughter's stepmom. My husband is our oldest son's stepfather. So their mother and father respectively decided for reasons that I'm not going to go into that Mm -hmm. very important that they had cell phones. And so, and we were like, well, we wouldn't have done it this early, but we really didn't think much about it um, because A, we weren't having to pay for them, which was honestly our biggest concern because it's expensive. And so we, we really had no thought about social media, about the distraction of cell phones. It did occur to me with, uh, with our son that, oh, well, if he's got this phone, then I can use it as a tool to leverage behavior. So, you know, it's one more, it's one more thing if he gets grounded or whatever I can. So, so in that, and I, I say that out loud and I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) That I was like, no, it's fine if he has a phone because then I can take it away from him if he's naughty. And I feel like, I feel like I was so naive and, and then that's just, that's not great parenting. And then it's just, just so many things wrong with that. So I'm really, I'm blushing right now. Oh, uh, I can totally relate. Don't worry. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's like one more way to sort of, it's very, well, it's, it speaks to very reactive parenting. And you and I both know now that we, reactive parenting is not going to cut the mustard. We have to be proactive parents. Parenting has to be just way, we have to be way, way ahead of the game and the kids at every step. And that was very reactive parenting. So what we noticed gradually, and honestly, we didn't notice the bulk of it until I started picking up on some stuff in the classroom and then translating it back to what I was seeing with our then older teenage children. And we didn't really notice problems until the kids were quite a bit older. Like I said, they were 12, 13, something like that when they, when they got their cell phones. So, but what we, what we saw and what we can look back now with hindsight is that the the biggest impact for both of our kids who are very different in nature was the hit to their self-esteem, the exposure to absolutely everybody doing anything on social media had them constantly trying to measure up and trying to, you know, and, and so, I mean, there was an, there was an episode where I really felt like my son was going to choke to death in the shower because he had done that stupid cinnamon challenge. And wow. so he's inhaled all the cinnamon into his, and so I'm, I'm torn between this sort of, you know, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And I'm trying not to laugh, but then I'm also like, okay, is he actually going to choke to death? You know, so I'm really sort of torn. But even then we weren't really thinking about, you know, these sort of silly challenges. And it was way more than the challenges. Because I think any kid who does a challenge and survives it is like, okay, well, that was stupid and I'm not going to do it again. But our daughter especially um, was, just exposed to so much more in the in the way of just just hit after hit after hit to her self-esteem that we did not anticipate we didn't see coming we still can't even enumerate all the ways that it happened that we we absolutely saw it and frankly are still you know without going into detail we're still feeling the repercussions of it i I can totally understand that yeah Um, yes i know that you you know the language i'm speaking you exactly So there's no, there's just so, so much. And then, and then our son is more, he's, he's, um, you know, the male mind works differently, right? So, so still susceptible to to self-esteem hits, but a much more pragmatic thinker. So he wasn't quite as negatively impacted there, but still definite negative impacts there. And it sort of fed into his tendency to anxiety. And it was less the social media 
in terms of comparing yourself to other people as social media, as this dumping ground for anybody to say anything and all of these news reports about various and sundry happenings in the world and locally. And, and it was sort of a source of anxiety for him and still can be. And so we really hadn't anticipated any of that. We, we started paying attention um, because I was like, okay, so, so this thing that our oldest daughter has said, I'm actually seeing something like this in the classroom, the flip side. So we start paying attention and we, we started talking and we agreed that our little guys, there's really no need for them to have cell phones that early. There's no need for them to be exposed to social media um, that early. And right about then was when I know that you started having your struggles. And so I was paying very close attention, you know, from the, from the, both the professional aspect, but then the personal aspect, because I'm personally connected. And so I'm, I'm paying close attention to that and I'm bringing it home to my husband and we're talking through it and talking about it. We had at one point bought, a- anticipating road trips to see family and road trips to, you know, to, 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 you know, just summer road trips, you know, um, with our kiddos, we had bought tablets for them, um, thinking we could let them watch movies and stuff and, and play games in the car. And that very quickly sort of bled over into, okay, well, can I, can I watch a movie now? And can I play a game now? And we figured out very quickly with all three kids, but especially with the oldest of our, our three younger children, our, our son, um, who's almost 10, that it wasn't going to be enough for him to have boundaries. It wasn't going to be enough for him to have like time cutoffs and stuff. He was not capable of managing that for himself. And he has some obsessive tendencies. He's not anywhere close to being full OCD. He's not on the autism spectrum by any stretch, but he has some tendencies that are sort of inherited from both sides of the family that make him sort of hyper-focus on things that he wants. And he was very, very difficult to tear away from the tablet. And then when we would take it away from him because he wouldn't lay it down voluntarily, it was almost like walking watching withdrawal from a drug. And it was sort of, we were both, my husband and I were both terribly alarmed. And it took several days for that to pass. And we um, got rid of the tablets because we we didn't have, we were like, nope, nope, nope. That is not going to, no, absolutely not. So we talk often with our children. You know, we have um, televisions in the house that are connected to the internet, you know, fire TV and whatever, where you can actually browse the internet from the TV with your remote. And they are not allowed to go on YouTube at all. You know, mm-hmm. my sons like to watch tornado videos because, you know, they're fun that way. But that stuff is all on YouTube and they're not allowed to go on YouTube because I know that there are ways for people to contact children and, uh, and you know, their, their communication methods through, through YouTube. And, and you have talked on your podcast about predators sitting and waiting, sitting right. and waiting, waiting. They're looking for, 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 for tags, for, for clues. Okay. This is a young person that is naive. That's maybe not being watched and that I can, I can maybe, you know, sort of work on, on from a predatory standpoint. Mm-hmm. So allowed to, to, to access any internet at all. They, they just don't need to. They're in elementary school. They don't need to. So when my, when my son was having all of that withdrawal struggle, it, it echoed very strongly what I see in the classroom as a teacher. As a teacher, because the cell phones are such a terrible distraction and because, because my students, I have yet to see with one or two exceptions, a student who, if the phone is in the pocket or if the phone is in the backpack and easily accessible can avoid picking it up and looking at it even once or twice during class they, they mm-hmm. just 
can't. They, they can't seem to do it. Now, I have students who come to school without cell phones, either because they, they don't own them for whatever reason or because their parents are like, that's no, absolutely not, because they already know. Um, and that's great. But the kids who have them can't keep their eyes and hands and minds off of them. And so what I do is I use a calculator storage caddy that's numbered and my students store their cell phones away from them where they can, you know, see them and keep an eye on them and nobody's stealing them, but they store them away from their bodies and, and a part of the classroom where, where they're not going to be walking past it naturally anyway. It's not hanging by the door so that they aren't tempted to grab it on the way out to the restroom or something. And that I, and I'm pretty draconian about enforcing that. I have, I have some of the strictest policies in the school, but it works for me because my kids don't get distracted in the classroom and I don't have cell phone problems in the classroom. So have you seen, I know um, Dustin described this before where they like pitch a fit, like at the beginning of the year or when they realize they're going to be strict with the rules. Um, They have like detox thing um, where they they feel like they can't physically exist without the phone in their hand. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of the most alarming episodes that I've ever seen was first day of first day of school i usually manage to make students cry because i'm a tough grader or because i'm hard on you know i'm hard on them in terms of you know holding them to high behavioral expectations and academic standards and so occasionally you know every year i have one or two students cry i have never made a student cry on the first day of school though until this child i always introduce my cell phone policy first day so heads up as soon as you get your number assigned to you this is where your cell phone is gonna go and i had a student start to get the panic and the and then burst into hysterical tears i had to i had to have the student step out into the hall because hysterical is the word for it and let me tell you dolly it was one of my football players oh well the thought of not having in his hand his cell phone for 45 minutes mm-hmm. and he got hysterical this is first day of school he's hyperventilating he's sobbing in the hallway he's getting like high pitched and i'm it was it was i mean pardon my language it was the damnedest thing i have ever seen and, and it, was, it was it was like 10th grade like a sophomore yes this is a sophomore this is a 15 oh, year old wow. boy plays football and he's doing this in front of his classmates there's no sense of i don't i don't, I don't want anybody to see me like this it, he was so over overwhelmed with panic and you know initially I thought okay this child is a spoiled little ridiculous person and and shame on his parents but but you know when I stepped out to deal with him this kid was having a panic attack it was absolutely a panic attack like he couldn't control his breathing and he was he was hysterical and it was it was awful it was alarming yeah I've never seen anything like it except in my son at home when we took his tablet away I can't let my children get to this point so we worked it out we figured out you know and he was fine and everything was fine and he survived the school year without being able to play with his cell phone but it was a it was a real eye-opener and I thought if parents could see and maybe they are seeing maybe they're seeing this sort of you know minor versions of this panic panicky hysteria at home 
when their kids aren't having their phones, you know, maybe the parents are seeing it and going, oh, fine, just take your phone because it's easier to deal with. I don't have that luxury at school. I, I don't, ha I don't have that luxury. And frankly, I refuse to give in to that temptation at home because it's, mm -hmm. it's not good for my children. So as a, from a teacher standpoint, it really would be beneficial to have more awareness around the benefits of limiting access, you know, like. Absolutely. Putting their phones Absolutely. up at night, not having access yes. to anything and everything um, yes. to help y'all as teachers. So, so let me tell you what I see. I see a couple of things um, in the classroom. I can tell whose parents limit their cell phone use because those are the kids who consistently no problem putting it up. They're like, okay, yeah, sure. Because they are already used to boundaries. Uh, I know which kids are on their cell phones until three in the morning because those are consistently the kids who are asleep in my class. They're asleep in first period. They're asleep in fourth period. They're asleep in seventh period. Doesn't matter what time of the day they're exhausted because they're not sleeping. And I will ask them over and over and over again, for years I've done this. So baby, why aren't you sleeping? You're exhausted. Are you not sleeping at home? What's going on? Is everything okay? You don't have to check on them. And invariably, oh, it's okay. I was just, I was in my DMs until two this morning, or I was making a video, or I was, it, it's almost always some sort of, I was on a piece of technology watching YouTube videos or dealing with social media in some way. There are other reasons that they don't sleep, but by far, 90% of the time, my kids who are sleeping in class or sleeping in class because they're not sleeping at home because they're on their phones. Wow. And then that probably reflects in their grades as well, right? And Absolutely. It reflects in their grades. They just, they miss key instruction. They're too, even if they're awake, they're too groggy to pay attention. The other thing I see is that the kids who struggle to put their phones away and who every day push back and every day argue with me and every day try to sneak their phone past me are the kids with the lowest self-esteem, period. Oh, wow. They need, they need more attention from me. They need more attention from their peers. They tend to be, I, you know, I, I, I'm not doing double blind peer reviewed studies here. This right. is anecdotal, but I know what I'm seeing in my classroom. And they, they tend to be, frankly, they tend to be more promiscuous. And I know that saying that I could get a lot of pushback from people, but I, I stand by it. I stand by it because there's tremendous pressure for that kind of thing on social media. There's tremendous pressure. And they tend to have, and this is one that alarms me as well. They tend to have more controlling um, romantic relationships. Really? Like they don't seem like as healthy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if I were to create a chart and I've done this in years past to kind of track the behaviors of my students who struggle with cell phone use in the class, I see more students who, male and female, by the way, who are in some sort of relationship where their, their romantic partner is demanding, controlling, you know, I've had romantic partners of my students walk into my classroom and demand, you know, ignore me, ignore teaching, ignore all, all recognized protocol and demand from their partner. I have been texting you. Why aren't you answering? Or you, you know, you were supposed to do this and you haven't done this. And, and it's only happened once or twice, but it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, you know, wow. of course I have to intervene and have to let the office know, but I see not that all of these things are caused by cell phone use, technology use, social media, but that the the normal problems that are attendant on A, being humans, and B, being teenage humans who are in this wacky developmental hormonal stage, 
they are amplified and exacerbated and made so much worse. Goodness. I know because like when we were teenagers, I remember being, it being so confusing and overwhelming. And now I look at everything that they're going through and I'm just like, we have just taken the teenage years and like, like you said, amplified all of the struggles of it. Wow. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So then you also see, so you would um, venture to say that like all of the things around the digital device and comparison and social media and all of those things influences experimentation, influences all of the things that teens tend to do. Yes. Sort of the, the, it's developmentally appropriate at this age for them to be sort of trying to establish their own independence, establish their separateness from mom and dad, from other adults. They're trying to, you know, they're on the cusp of adulthood themselves. You know, if we were talking 200 years ago or even 100 years ago, these kids were adults for the most part. Certainly the boys were. Many of the girls in my classes 100 years ago would have been married already, you know. So so, so there's this societal shift that's got them still as children, whereas for the bulk of human development, kids this age were full grown adults. But the reality is that that they're still, you know, developmentally, they're still in flux. They're still quite young. And so I'm seeing that instead of being able to sort of process this in a sort of normal timeline, a normal healthy way with the help of the adults and peers around them, they still have the help from the adults, but the problems are just exacerbated tenfold and a hundredfold by the exposure to so many more voices than they normally would hear through social media. And then as a teacher, the other thing I see is that they struggle with concentration. They struggle with memory. They struggle with um, that their cognitive abilities are impacted negatively. They're impacted ne- negatively. And I can guess within, you know, a, I would say a pretty good margin of error, which students have had parents for years now, shutting them up, controlling them, managing their behavior by handing them a device. Here, watch me. You need to be quiet. Mommy's mommy's doing something. Watch my phone. Watch a movie on my tablet. Because they don't, they, they lack the ability to self-regulate. They lack the ability to problem solve on their own. They're, they're faced with a problem. I'm not sure what to do here. Immediately, I need help. Immediately, I need to look for, you know, some sort of technological fix. Oh, well, can, can I get my cell phone and look this up? I can't tell you how many times I have students, what this word means, can I get my phone and look it up? And there is literally in front of them, I keep on my tables a stack of dictionaries, you know, and, yes. they, and they, they, they struggle with, if they're not on technology, they think they're bored. Right. So kind of like what I've talked about before about it's not allowing them to be bored, which mm-hmm. boredom kind of stimulates their imagination. Absolutely. Yeah. Like when we were kids, we were bored. So you went outside. I mean, I remember some fascinating times where I was out gathering little ants and making a little ant thing in a jar and, you know, all of those things. Um, Yes. So much. I mean, I, I, I was listening to that episode of your podcast just a little while ago, and I was thinking about my own children because, you know, we're in the summer, they're out of school, and I've limited their TV time to just 30 minutes a couple of times a day. And then they come to me and they're like, I'm bored. And 
and I'm like, that's okay. You'll figure something out to do. And then I just let them be bored. And invariably, it doesn't even take five minutes, Dolly. They're almost 10, they're eight, and they're six. And invariably, they have figured out together something to do. So they create these games or they their, their re most recent game that they've invented for themselves is to play detective and they're trying to solve mysteries. And I'm not doing any, I'm not giving them anything. I'm not telling them, try this. They, they, have, they have toys. They have books. I, I'm not going to handhold them through using their imagination. They tell me I'm bored. I tell them to suck it up. And then they go and figure out things to do. And I've got to tell you, when they're sneaking around the house pretending to be spies and spying on me and my husband, it's hilarious. <laughs> Because what you'll hear is, you know, I'm in the laundry room folding towels or something, and I'll hear behind me, we found her. She appears to be folding towels. What is she up to? And, you know, the kids are like narrating in these whispery voices. It's hilarious. And they're creating these games and stories with zero help from me and my husband, because that's how I grew up. Mm -hmm. If I, during the summer, did one of two things, my summer was ruined. If I came into the house, first of all, before a mealtime, my mother was going to make me clean something. And if I told my mother I was bored, my mother was going to make me clean some. So I was never in the house and I never in life told her I was bored because I did not want to clean. Our house was spotless because we often made the mistake when we were younger of saying, mom, I'm bored or, or coming in from play too early. Yeah. I know now that she wanted that alone time for herself, but, but we, we, and we didn't have any of this stuff and we were able to develop those that imaginative play and, and my children are developing it too. And I hear these parents say, well, I mean, I, I want to take their technology away, but then I have to figure out things for them to do and I'm no you don't you you absolutely don't you your job once you've taken the technology away is to make sure they don't set stuff on fire <laughs> that's, that's it right, right? because if right. you leave them to their own devices they will figure something out so the only other thing I wanted to ask you about was what I hear from a lot of parents is that they they feel like they have to give their kid a phone. And um, so a couple of things, they have to give their kid a phone because it's used a lot in the classroom. And then the second thing is that like the digital world is here to stay and it has a lot of advantages. So what my perspective is, is kind of like as they get older, we just need to find a, a better way to guide them, allow them to have that imagination as they're younger and then guide them. And like what I say in some of my episodes is you, it's not a given to have that phone and you earn, you earn the independence on that phone, but you know, the digital world's not going away and it opens up a lot of opportunities for us. So it has the positives of it too. It's just at their younger ages, we need to be aware of all of these dangers and to regulate them more. So the first thing is about the classroom. How do you approach that if a, like if the kid doesn't have a phone? Because, I mean, we, like, physically removed the phone from our youngest, and he still hasn't gotten it back. And if we were to send him back to a traditional school, that would be one of our major concerns, is putting that back in his hands. Um, so do you have kids that come and don't have a phone? Absolutely, I do. Um, I And I think it's going to depend a lot on on what district you're in. But I, I suspect, because even in, in districts where everybody in the district is wealthy enough to give their kid a, a fancy phone or a phone at all. I think that there are going to be parents who, like us, are savvy and are like, no, you don't need a phone at school. Uh, I will occasionally let my kids use their phone for a survey or something like that. But when I have students 
who need to use technology and who don't have a phone, I, I plan for that ahead of time because I know that there are going to be in every single class I teach anywhere from two to five kids and sometimes as many as seven kids who for whatever reason do not have a phone. Now, mm-hmm. since it's a, it's a temporary thing. I got my phone taken up because I was being a jerk to my mom. Sometimes it's a permanent thing. We don't have money at my house for us to have a phone or my parents don't want me distracted by a phone. So they make me leave it at home. So I have in every class students who don't have phones for whatever reason. And so I would say if you have a teacher who is who is demanding that they use their phones, that that teacher needs to make some adjustments. I'm going to question that teacher. We don't have at, at our school one-to-one technology, but we do have access to a lot of technology for our students. We can check it out ahead of time. And if as teachers, if we are planning carefully, or, or even planning semi-carefully, you know, being a little bit thoughtful about what we're doing, we can get technology for all of our students without any trouble. And, and so the, the reality is that when I use a cell phone in my class, it's because I'm doing, uh, I'm doing a check. So for example, the first couple of days of school, um, while, while my rosters are being populated, um, while new students are coming in and people are being transferred, I will have the kids fill out surveys and do quizzes and stuff on their phones. And I am making note of which students have phones and which students don't. And then later when they're like, oh, I can't put my phone in the caddy, I don't have one. I'm like, really? Because on days one through three, you had a cell phone in your hand. So where is that phone? And then those kids are like, oh, and very often those kids are trying to get one past me so they don't have to put their phone in their caddy. And then I'll do that same type thing if I have a class that I feel like is trying to sneak phones past me. I'll, I'll be like, okay guys, we need to get our phones out today because we're going to do this quiz or that whatever on your phones. And suddenly children who have been claiming not to have a phone will get a phone out. And I'm like, look at you over there. And then they know, you know, so I, I honestly use phones in the classroom as a gotcha and nothing else. Ah, so, okay. That makes sense. Any parent, any parent who's worried about that, don't worry about that. And if you have a teacher who's who's pushing your kid, you as a parent, stand up to that teacher. Absolutely stand up to that teacher and say, you know what? I know you have it in your ability to figure out other ways to get my kid technology. You're not going to pressure my child and me to get that kid a phone. That's good to know because I, and I think more where we've had pushback with the kids is when we have taken their phones away for whatever reason and they're like, but I need it for school. The teacher has us do this, this and this. So it's good to know that there are other options and we just need to connect with the teacher on that. Anything they do at school that they can do on their phone can absolutely be done and better done on a laptop or a, a, a home computer, I would say. Absolutely. So yeah. you, know, you mentioned the digital age and all of its, um, all of its, you know, the pluses to it. And we hear so often, we say this as teachers and we hear it from other teachers and from admin. These kids are way more tech savvy than any of us. This is the digital age. They have to be able to use this stuff. Frankly, I'm not seeing tech savvy in my classroom, I'm seeing students who, who know how to use social media and that's it. Okay. They're not, they're not brilliant at, at formatting. They're not brilliant at graphic design. They're not brilliant, brilliant at, at filmmaking or editing or anything like that, that, that is true tech savviness. They're, right. 
they're, they're really good at social media and that's it. And we don't get to use that to say, oh, well, you know, that's, that's my excuse for letting them have free reign on their phones in my classroom. We don't, I, I think, honestly, I think that's lazy. I think that's people who don't want to fight that battle. Oh, well, they're tech savvy and they need to be using them. Nope, nope. That's what we have, you know, classroom computers and laptops for. I was reading a book. It might've been that book. I think it's called distracted or disconnected. I can't remember hmm. which one it is now, but um, he talked about how kids having digital devices at young ages, that it changes the the brain chemistry right. um, and that they, they do pick up on things and they learn to navigate things, um, you know, like on a smartphone and stuff like that. Sure. Um, but what they're finding is if they're always having that stimulation, that other parts of their brain that they need for normal childhood development are actually shutting down. And then that is what creates that temper tantrum type thing, the detox. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. I call it the teen tantrum or the preteen tantrum if you take Absolutely. away their device, if they're yeah. used to having it all the time, but that it actually, they've seen a physiological effect in the brain where, mm -hmm. you know, they kind of like don't know what to do. And it's kind of mm -hmm. like in a frenzy <clears throat> because they're used to being stimulated in that way. Absolutely. So lots of things going on under the surface. So oh, yeah, we, we need parents to wake up and, and, and help help teachers. <laughs> yeah, please, please. And you know, we do have a duty to, because it is a very, very technological world and we have a duty to help them learn boundaries and learn proper usage. And, you know, I was listening to, to your podcast where you're saying that homework for your homeschool kiddo, for your kiddo who's doing on all online high school happens in a public, you know, in the house, in a public setting. Homework doesn't happen in the bedroom, okay, with the doors shut. Um, schoolwork doesn't happen there. And I think that that's brilliant for a couple of reasons. That room needs to be sort of the sanctuary away from you know, school and work, like, like for all of us, we need our, our, our bedroom to be where we rest and recharge and relax. But then also we don't want our children taking technology behind a closed door where we cannot monitor. And I mean, that's, you know, I think that's brilliant. So we have to be as parents way ahead of the game in terms of teaching boundaries and establishing, you know, proper use and how do you, and we can teach them to be brilliantly tech savvy, but still maintain proper boundaries that are not going to expose our children to the horrors that exist. You know, I mean, there's the dark web and then there's just regular old social media where there are horrors. I mean, there, there are monsters out there. Right. And, and, and kind so. of with this um, pandemic thing going on and stuff, it kind of is amplified how it just in any of us, you know, grown adults, it's amplified how influential it can be if you're consuming mm -hmm. it all the time. Because I mean, I've yes. had, I've had to cut myself off, like where I limit how much I am checking any, any news app, any social media thing. When I go on it, I go in there to do the things like in the groups I'm in, the fit club I run, um, you know, those things. But I, mm -hmm. I stay focused on those things because I cannot take all the constant arguing, all the constant back and forth between everybody's opinions. And, yes. um, you know, so if we think about it, like we're grown adults and that is affecting us the way that is. And so for yes. a child that's still in development, still trying to figure out this world, and then you throw in social media and allowing them to consume anything and everything that's out in the world, it's a dangerous combination. Absolutely. I mean, I love the, I love the tagline of your podcast and your movement, be that mom. And I would say, I would say you have to be the, you have to be the parent. You have to be 
that kind of parent who is unafraid to have your kid mad at you a little a little bit but the reality is it is it we we are afraid as parents to be the parent to be the adult in the room and we don't get to do that we don't get to we don't get to screw up our kids that way where we're afraid to actually parent them yeah and so i love that sort of the emphasis on you have to be that parent you have to be that mom who's like nope this is this is how it's going to be and you know you you can tantrum but I'm not moving and you're eventually going to get tired and go take a nap so I you know I that's and that's my if you want a tantrum that's fine you're going to go in your room and do it and then you can take a nap and mama can have more quiet time so I mean I think it's important it's so important I so agree Well, I appreciate everything that um, you've shared today. I think this is going to be a very valuable episode, you know, for moms to kind of see the perspective of you from the teacher standpoint. And then also the fact that you have the older kids and the younger kids. So you're kind of getting a little bit of a a do over (laughs) with the younger ones where you're kind of uh, able to course correct a little bit of the influences that you've seen in the older ones. Um, And then the other thing that uh, what I try, and I think this is probably me just trying to feel my hurting, my hurting heart when I see Ugh. my not being aware of the dangers, how it has affected my kids. Um, I feel like our kids today, because of these challenges, somehow they're going to use this to help them, you know, grow or something in their lives. So we need to become aware of these dangers. And then the ones yes. that are already exposed, we need to, you know, guide them, set boundaries and kind of course correct, build them up from the inside out to where, you know, they know that they are valued and that they don't always have to be connected to the world and they don't have to prove themselves to anyone else. Um, gosh, I just wish I would have woken up a couple years ago, but it is what it um, is. <laughs> it is. And we can't, so that's one thing that I struggle with is that mom guilt, you know, I'm like, oh, I should have, I wish I had, you know, and I can't, I can't let myself do that because then it, it sort of freezes me from my younger group and I, and I can't, you know, I just have to take those lessons and, and just, you know, pray that the mistakes <laughs> that we made with our older kids, um, which were you know, there wasn't any malice there. We weren't, you know, they're just, they're just parenting mistakes and we don't make them. So we just pray that, like you said, that they'll just, they'll learn and grow from that. And then we just, we don't get to make the same mistakes with our little guys. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for visiting with me and I'm sure that all the listeners are going to love everything that you've shared. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And if, you know, if anybody has any questions, if any of your listeners listeners want, want more of the teacher perspective or more of the, you know, I had a group of older kids and now I have a group of younger kids, abs- you know, let me know. I'm happy to, you know, follow up or, or go deeper into any of that. So yeah, just let me know okay. if it has any questions. Okay, so. I will do. Awesome. All right. Thanks a lot, Dolly. Hey, so if this Be That Mom path is kind of overwhelming you, I totally hear you. <laughs> I've totally been there. But one thing that has helped me on this path is to educate myself. And I've done that by reading different books. And one book that I find very, very helpful, and I highly recommend to anyone who is being that mom and having any sort of doubt or struggle or just not knowing where to turn, is called Disconnected by Thomas Kirsting. Now, if you're sitting there saying, but Dolly, I don't have time to read, this is a short read, but you can also get it on Audible. Audible is a way for you to listen to audiobooks and podcasts and other things using an app that you download to your phone or whatever device you have. And I want to give you a 30-day free trial to Audible if you have never tried them. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash be that mom movement. 
and sign up for their free trial. Check them out. And then if you decide to be a member, you get a free download every month. So that's basically a free book every month. So you can uh, be listening to that book while you were driving, while you were doing things around the house, while you're outside walking, exercising, whatever it is, you can use that time to put that information into your brain. They also have multiple other things besides just the educational books. So whatever suits your fancy, (laughs) they have it all. So please check it out at audibletrial.com forward slash be that mom movement. Thanks for tuning in. Being that mom isn't easy, but together we can be that mom strong. Don't forget to leave a review, connect on social, and join Dolly's free community. Till next time.